Well, may we say, God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 70 for Saturday, 3rd of November 2018. I'm Jeremy Sear and each week I'll be joined by a different guest host to help me discuss what's just been happening to our country, what's likely to happen very shortly and hopefully what we can do about it. Tonight's guest host is returning guest host Denise Pierco. Hello. All right, well we're, we're all a bit snuffy from the terrifying spring. We have a sleeping in quotes baby in the other room sleeping also teething which can i just say that that is the worst design ever what did they just sort of burst through the gums yeah sort of like little chest bursters coming through the gums pain and destruction if only we'd sort of evolved to like sort of pick up teeth that where where how else would they where else would they come from anyway they sort of stick them on like where Maybe they sort of think it pop out externally. No, that wouldn't be it. That would be painful too. Like, they've got to come from somewhere. <laughs> True. Anyway. Damn you, creator. Anyway. Who may or may not exist. Uh, Matthew Guy from the uh, the state liberals, the, who's trying to uh, become premier in the state election, certainly thinks that God exists. He was out there at the ACL conference. Sorry, the Australian... I, I don't... I can't... You know how air quotes are silent? I can't, even even if they weren't silent, like, I can't do air quotes big enough to put around Christian. For, you, you would be jumping up and down, flapping your arms and sort of like, like you were trying to fly. Yeah, it's the Australian Christian lobby. Um, or as we used to say, uh, we used to use their, do their acronym back on in the old podcast, uh, the Association of Cynical Liars. Yeah. I like that. Well, I like that. Anyway. That so, is more of an initialism than an acronym, but, you know, I won't be a pedant today. I don't know what words mean. Anyway, Matthew Guy was speaking at the ACL uh, state conference, whatever, their, their, their big meeting. All they think that Christianity is, is fighting against abortion and fighting against LGBTI people. That's pretty much how they've defined religious freedom and everything that, that they think is important in the world. Well, I'm pretty sure that Jesus, in his you know, Sermon on the Mount, said, let the little children, except the ones who might one day have an abortion or might be LGBTQIA, come unto me. When Those ones did, when, will stone when... and drive out of the city. Obviously, he was saying that fetuses are children. I note that Fred Nolan in New South Wales is trying to bring back um, another one whose attempts to try and define unborn fetuses as oh, children. God. Meanwhile, Matthew Guy, the state liberal leader who wants to be premier, spoke at this conference and, and basically was declaring that, that uh, he wants to bring back the ACL's version of Christianity and enforce it on all of us, including by bringing back religious education. Now, the history of that in Victoria is that we used to have religious education in class time. We still have religious education. Schools can do it, but it has to be out of class hours. Yep. Because what used to happen is the kids kids would go off to do religious education, and because it doesn't, the classes don't work if then half the class or whatever is behind. Yep. The other, all the kids who weren't doing religious instruction, although they could technically opt out, they just had that school time wasted. They just sort of sat around twiddling their thumbs. Yeah, it's like a sit in the library. You don't actually get to do anything fun, but like you just waste half a period. Yeah, so it's a waste of educational time. So it's also a waste of educational resources. Yeah. So the Labour Party said, no, if you're going to do that, you can do it out of our class time. And the state libs want to bring it back as an in-class time thing. And they didn't really want it to be publicised beyond the particular community they're pitching that. They didn't really want the rest of us to really know about it. 
they were kind of hoping that it was sort of, you know, they didn't do a, put out a press release. They didn't announce it. They just sort of just said it in that particular community. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ones who liked the idea of the, the godless children having their time wasted and their children being indoctrinated at school. Uh, but we do know about it. And it's terrifying. Like, no, it's not terrifying. It's just another deeply regressive, shitty thing that they want to well, do. I think the Herald Sun had it, featured it, like a bunch of different things did featured they? it. Yeah, in the end they did. Um, well, once it, once it was a news story. Once it was a news story, of course, they followed up on it. But when they say religious education, I always find their definition of religious education very strange. Because they don't mean that they want to teach you about Islam and Judaism as, as proper religions. They don't mean that they want to teach you as social Buddhism, phenomena, as historical, yeah, as, cultural. As Hinduism and Buddhism and, and, and Zoroastrianism and all the different things that we have come up through and how the religions have developed into each other and, and how they, you know, the things they've taken from each other. And, and Which is important. Like, I have no problem with It's just a giant historical thing and understanding yeah. the world today. Kids should have an understanding of religion. all the religions. Absolutely. And a world religion class is something that is quite helpful. Like you understand things from a cultural perspective, you understand things from a historical perspective. That's not what they mean, is it? No, they mean religious instruction. And more specifically, they mean Christian instruction. Exactly. Anyway, just another reason why these state libs are a real risk to the rest of us. I'm, I'm amused that they have picked as their slogan, get back in control. And not just because as the wags on Twitter pointed out, that is the slogan for an incontinence product. Get back into control. It's it, look it up. It's a it's the website is for um, incontinence products, but because it's such an entitled thing, and we'll see this a bit in this episode. Libs saying things that are extremely revealing about where their brains are, uh, and it really fits for the state liberals. They're still fighting the East West Link thing. They're still campaigning. Oh, they're still on... promising that they'll put it back into play. If... Well, more than that, they 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 refuse to accept the whole way along that Victorians were entitled to vote against it. And we kicked them out. We said, no, we don't want that thing. And before the election, they signed up all those dodgy contracts, which then meant that there were penalty clauses that the incoming government couldn't get out of entirely. Now, that did cost us money, but A, that was the Liberals doing it, and B, it's not the $1.3 billion that they're pretending. The normal figure that the, the, the Herald Sun comes out with like is $1 billion or $1.1 billion, and that's counting the money that was spent acquiring property, which we still own and is now worth more. So that yeah. isn't money that was lost. Anyway, they're just spreading this lie that the, the, the Labor Party threw away $1.3 billion to not build a road, as if most of that isn't still owned, the real estate um. they bought, and as if the penalties that we had to pay weren't them. They deliberately put that in place to punish us for kicking them out. All right, you kick us out, you're going to have to pay, all you Victorian taxpayers are going to have to pay a penalty to this company because we're signing the contracts just before the election when we know it's an election issue. Yeah. So if you kick us out, fuck you all, which makes it incredibly revealing that their current slogan is get back in control. It's not about us getting back in control, the, the people of Victoria. It's about the Liberals retaining yeah. their their birthright, which is to rule us. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. They want their control. They want to... But they think that they control. should have it. They're, they're yeah. outraged that they that, we, that the insolence of us voters kicking them out. Oh, it's a deep, it's a deeply held belief. Like it's a deep seated belief that they deserve that control. That that is exactly as you say, birthright. That it's theirs, and they are affronted when we do anything to take it away or when we exercise our own control. It's one of the reasons they hate things like unions. Well, you know, collective bargaining, the, the, the peon, the lowly man on the street, you know, standing up to the business owner is... Well, oh. also, it's the only way in which the people who don't have the money and power can legitimately fight back and actually threaten their commercial interests in, in the interest of actual workers. Like Absolutely. The, uh, you, and actually, we'll get to that in a minute, because I do want to have a, a brief chat about what has just happened in Brazil and how that's relevant to Australia. Before we skip past the state libs, 
let's go interstate to New South Wales because while we're on the subject of, of religious fundamentalists in schools, there were 34 heads of New South Wales Anglican schools who wrote to the MPs this week demanding the power to be able to continue sacking gay people. And they're like, oh, no, we don't really want to sack them per se, but it's important for us to be able to enforce our values. But we're saying, what, hold it over gay teachers that they can be yeah. sacked? Or, or say, like, you can't live your quote-unquote lifestyle. Yeah, you might, but... If you're going to be gay, you know, don't ask, don't tell. Shut up about it. Live in shame. Yeah. Be, remember that you're a second-class citizen. Yes. And, and lead a really good example for our students who may be gay who yeah, are Yeah, pretend not to be gay. Yes. Yeah. Internalise our homophobia into your life so that you can provide a model to the gay kids here to also internalise in a harmful way their, hom- their homophobia. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a wonderful message to send down. And I cannot believe the Anglican Church. That is, it's horrific. Uh, I note that the Oz, the Oz writes, puts all of these letters up on the front page as if they're actually news, and they put their like, little exclusive tag on them as if that's something to be proud of. They did it again yesterday on Friday with the Presbyterian Church had a, had a whinge about the same thing. On the plus side, Nationals MP Trevor Khan slammed uh, Illawarra Grammar School for being part of this letter uh, and argued, look, maybe you should reconsider or consider more deeply the Bible's teaching to do unto others what you would have them do unto you. I remember with very considerable affection my school years at uh, the school and know that I received a well-rounded education. I'm therefore saddened, indeed disheartened, that I must write to express my profound disappointment that you are signatory to the letter dated 25th of October 2018, signed by the Sydney Anglicans as one of the 50 heads of school. Oh, so it's 50, because the version I saw has 34 names ah. on it, which didn't have Illawarra, so that makes sense. There must be a broader one that's got more names on it. I agree with you that a teacher plays an exemplar role and that a teacher must, to use your words, support the values, the ethos, and mission of the school. I equally agree that a teacher who undermines or denigrates the beliefs and teaching of the school should not be employed. But tell me, are you seriously suggesting that a teacher will undermine or denigrate those teachings simply by being gay? And he goes on to say, are you saying that simply because of their sexuality, they cannot share the values and ethos of your school? Are you saying that a gay teacher is unable to fulfill the school's stated objective of developing students with wisdom, compassion, and justice who are faithful stewards of our world? Yeah, because I know that none of these schools have as their mission statement and telling gay people that they're second-class citizens. Yeah, they don't say discrimination and hatred, and they're all about, Look, like... if that was actually on their mission statement, then by all means, yes, sure, being a member of that school would probably be... You know, you wouldn't necessarily be fulfilling the ethos yeah. of that school by not supporting discrimination and bigotry. But they never actually put discrimination and bigotry... Uh, or, or what? I'm sorry, they're, they're the Sydney Anglican schools. They probably do it in Latin. Um, I don't know, discriminatum et bigotorum. <laughs> But he also does point out, and I think very, very rightly, that what message are you sending to the kids who are at the school right now? Um, both the gay kids and the, he mentions like gay children at the school right now, but also non-gay ones. Like what message are you sending that it's okay to hate, that it's okay to discriminate, that it's okay to other these people and make them feel lesser? Yeah, well, I mean, that's the whole fundamental point. Like the the the, the no side campaign on marriage equality from the people who were not overtly just saying, I hate gays, I hate gays, they're, they're perverts or what, perverts or what, whatever. People who aren't like overt about it, they, the fundamental undercurrent of the message was, but they're not as good as us and it taints us by having them around. We don't want our kids to be encouraged to be gay. We don't want to be saying that our marriage is like their marriage because they're not as good. If they're going to exist and if we're not going to persecute them, could they yeah, Could they just accept being second class? Like they are thinking like, they're, they're not as good as us. Stop pretending that they're as good as us. I'm not as bad as a gay person. Like they've internalised so much homophobia and... I don't know if we put a trigger warning about that because that's horrifying. But that, that is the undercurrent. And every LGBTI person knows full well that that is, that is what's undercurrent. And that's because that's the message being conveyed. Yeah. Every effort to discriminate against LGBTI people or to argue that that should be okay 
is based on the fundamental premise that LGBTI people are not as good as non-LGBTI people. And that it's, you know, if, if we're going to accept them and have to tolerate them, then that's as much as we should have to do. We should never, ever have to say they're the same as us. But they are dickheads. They are the same. Yeah. They are equal to us. They are not doing anything wrong. We don't need to find excuses as to whether it's genetic or, alert or nature or nurture or whether there's a gene to fix it or whatever because it's not wrong in the first place. There is yep. nothing wrong. Everything that goes from the premise of it's something to be worried about is a problem. Anyway, I'm actually going to cut in now with Brandon Selick from two weeks ago who's done a Stuck in My Core on what we briefly mentioned because I found out about it in the edit uh, last week, which is that they're taking the money, you know, this drought, this oh, non-rainy yeah. day fund, they're taking it from the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Here's Brandon. Hi, and thanks for having me back. Now, less than a week ago from date of recording this, the government announced that its new drought relief program, which would be funded with repurposed NDIS funds. Now, apparently $3.9 billion originally set aside for the NDIS will be used to pay for drought relief. And that plan naturally has been welcomed by farmers. They're in a hard, hard situation at the moment, so any money will be of assistance. But taking the money from the NDIS is not the best way to go about this. For those who are, who are unfamiliar with the National Disability Insurance Scheme, is there to help those with disabilities get assistance. Now, how much funding was initially pledged towards the NDIS? That funding was just a drop in the ocean. Now, it was a good scheme, but there clearly wasn't enough money to help. And we've heard issues in regards to how the NDIS has been rolled out throughout Australia. It's been rolled out in regional areas first before hitting big cities. I know that, for example, Brisbane was one of the later places to have NDIS funding allocated to it. And along with those rollout delays, there's also issues with initial first contact or initial acceptance into the program. There's a lot of anecdotal stories out there that first applications are denied in the hopes that they'll be turned away for it to be too difficult. Now, anecdotes aren't exactly evidence, but when there's enough anecdotes, one does have to start wondering. But taking money out of the NDIS, which is already seemingly struggling or not meeting the demands of its client base, which it should be doing to repurpose for drought funding, shows a massive lack of foresight uh, and planning in regards to how the government is managing its finances. We need the NDIS to assist those disenfranchised in our society who need that assistance. But yes, we also need to help farmers as well. But if the government had properly managed how funding was handled in regards to farmers and how tariffs were paid to farmers and how farmers' uh, produce was managed by supermarkets with, reg with proper regulation, they'd be in a much better position now than they already are. Now, maybe this isn't happening as, as has been reported. Maybe the government will rethink this, particularly after the disaster that Wentworth was so hopefully this won't happen and the NDIS funds will be secure and the money will be allocated from elsewhere to help those farmers who are struggling at the moment. But the sad fact is both of these programs are necessary. Both need to be funded and both need more funding and better management and how they are implemented and handled for these programs to be effective and to help those who need that help. And that's what's stuck in my crawl this week. Thank you kindly. It does strike me as ridiculous that of all the things for the government to take money from, it's something that's popular and, and hard to argue against as an insurance scheme for dis disabled people. Uh, and also one that they're constantly saying doesn't have enough money. They're constantly making it tighter and tighter and squeezing it and making it worse and worse and saying, oh, the money's not there for it. Well, just last year, they were making a big deal about the extra Medicare levy that they wanted to do because they couldn't completely fund the NDIS if they didn't put on these extra levies. And then they managed to figure it out and find the money and, and they were going to completely fund it. And that was just a year ago with the budget. They were making a big deal about that. So why is the NDIS suddenly cheaper? Oh, it's because they're actually running it like in the most cruel way they can cutting people off, making it really impossible for people to get, making it, basically they're doing what they did to the NBN, they're doing it to the, and any kind of, well this is what the Conservatives do, like they're the, they're the people who say government is shit, it's not the answer, so the Conservatives who get into government are doing it to wreck it, to show that it is shit, mm. so they, you have a public service like NDIS, and they 
run it into the ground. So people will be like, oh, the NDS is pretty shit. I want to go to get help, and it's never never there. They, they, make, they make it really difficult to get any assistance whatsoever. Yeah, no, why, why did... NDS is it's not a good thing at all. Like, if you want to attack it, you can't attack it from the outside because it sounds like a good idea. Because it is a good idea because it's a necessary thing. But you can get it get in if you wreck it. Like, the NBN. Everybody loved the idea of the NBN. But you turn it into a piece of shit, and then the words NBN, yeah, it's not a plus. It's not an electoral plus for the people who did it. Because now, it's, now everybody associates it with garbage. Yeah. And so, and that's what they do. They, they take things that we love, and they're like, no, 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 we're not going to get rid of them. No, no, we love them. No, we'll, we'll support them. We'll, we'll definitely keep them. And then they just make them worse to deal with until people are like, yeah, I don't really have any affection for that thing anymore. Absolutely. They run things into the ground. I did like Brandon's point about the, you know, one of the things the government could do to help drought-affected farmers is uh, deal with the way that, they, that they're exploited by the supermarkets. I did notice that uh, Woolworths has this, when you buy milk, they've got a special yeah. drought, a drought assistance one, which is instead of Woolworths treating the farmers well and, you know, in this time that's difficult, supporting their supplies. No, no, yeah. they're just putting a levy on top of their milk to pay so that consumers can pay it to them and then they'll pay some of it to the yeah, farmers. Yeah, they will pay a portion of it to the farmers. And the interesting thing is is they use the power of their retail to drive down the prices they get from their suppliers to really low in order to keep our prices low in part. But they drive what they get. So it leaves the farmers with a situation where they don't have any fat. They don't have any ability to feed cows who... Um, if they, you know, if they're, if, if feed costs go up, they can't afford to feed them all yeah, the because there's no tiny. water. Like it's... The, it's just, it's impossible. And that's because in part of the way that Woolworths and Coles and the other large supermarket chains treat them. Yep. Um, because it's almost like the nationals, the party for the, the country don't represent ordinary farmers. They represent big agribusiness that is exploiting ordinary farmers. Yes. But then ordinary farmers keep voting for them because they've always voted for the nationals. Yeah. Um, but I well, think there's also the... I think that also comes into the social conservative uh, side of things too, where... Sure, they're going to help the people who are screwing me, screw me more, but they hate the gays. Yeah, sometimes you wonder. But then you look at some places like in the New South Wales state election, uh, which there's another one of those coming up next year, a couple of traditional national seats went to the Greens. Like you look at, at some stuff yeah. like, uh, well, like that. Yeah, well, because of all the people, the farmers are noticing that climate change is actually happening and is actually yes. a problem. Uh, they're like, yeah, uh, we can't pretend that there's no change here. Yeah. You know what, I'm going to drop in a bit of audio here. This bit of audio is from actually an old Yes Prime Minister um, episode, and it's, it's the episode where there's going to be an invasion of an island, and there's been a de- all, all the people have made the deals around it, so they're not supposed to do anything about it. And Hacker doesn't know that, but the Foreign Office is already fully aware of it. And the two civil servants, uh, Sir Humphrey and Sir, Fr- I think it's Sir Frank, are explaining to Bernard what the process is for dealing with a thing you don't actually want to deal with. And this is how the Liberals and the Conservatives have dealt with climate change, which is, you know, linking back to what you were saying, why the farmers are beginning to go, oh, hang on. I'm sorry, but what are we going to do to help them? Nothing. But what if St George's appeals to us? Well, we give them every support, short of help. (laughs) (laughs) What if the Prime Minister insists we help them? Then we follow the four-stage strategy. What's that? A standard Foreign Office response in a time of crisis. In stage one, we say nothing is going to happen. Stage two, we say something may be going to happen, but we should do nothing about it. In stage three, we say that maybe we should do something about it, but there's nothing we can do. <laughs> stage four, we say maybe there was something we could have done, but it's too late now. It is too late now, and that's well, it's interesting because... Well, I think they still think on climate change. They're still on step two. They're still saying, oh, no, there's nothing we can do about it. Then it'll go to, oh, but there's nothing we can do because we should now, now it's too late. We now have to deal with mitigation or something. Yeah. Well, and... Just, it's like the goal of uh, Scott Morrison when he was out, you know, after he became prime minister doing his little rural tour, talking about things like, 
oh, I'm here to talk to you about the drought. Oh, no, I'm not here to talk to you about climate change. Yeah. Let's keep it on topic. Oh, well, there's Barnaby's philosophy on the on the drought. Apparently, it just reminds him of the biblical years when you have seven bad years and seven good years. Here's Barnaby oh. this week. Uh, I was fortunate when, uh, when a long, long time ago to actually sing at the Sydney Opera House. I sang as a treble, so it was quite a few years ago. And it was in Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat. That was the first drought envoy. That really was a drought envoy. So what was the government doing there in pharaonic times? They were planning for drought. They were planning that there'll be seven good years followed by seven bad years and how they were going to get the Egyptian people through that period of time. And this in itself has to be emblematic of us planning for how we are going to go forward from this point. That's, you know, an interesting interpretation. And I don't know that I ever want to see Barnaby Joyce performing Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat anything, anywhere. I've seen Donny Osmond perform it. That was pretty cool. And I think he's missing the point. Well, I, I feel I, like the, the seven years of plague and the seven years of famine and the seven years of feast sort of thing is... Well, yeah. I don't, I'm worried that that Barnaby Joyce, the former leader of the Nationals and former Deputy Prime Minister and the person who still hasn't effed off and the Nationals are still looking at putting him back in and they're still doing the numbers, thinks that climate change is a... It's a cyclical thing, you know? The, 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 the ch- graph that's showing the temperatures going like this. The one that, that, that gets me is when you do, you do they do it as a spiral. So, you know, 12 months of the year around mm-hmm. and they do the average temperatures and you can see sort of over the time the, the spiral's going out and out and out. Like, you know, scary. It's not going up and down, Barnaby. It's not a seven-year seven year drought and then there's going to be seven glorious years of, yes. of, non, of, of fantastic climate bounty. Winter no, is not coming. No, the opposite, in fact. It's, but that's right. The, the idea that somebody's out there th- saying... No, no, we should just treat it like the ancient Egyptians treated a cycle is, like as we were saying, it, it demonstrates that, like, the state libs re- are revealing that really, that Sogan says, we are born to rule. Barnaby's statement says he doesn't understand what the blinking hell we're talking about with climate change. It's not a, nobody thinks it's going to magically come back. When does the plague of locusts come? I'm not, is that in Joseph? Or is that... That, well, I think it's like Joseph, one I th- of the plagues and yeah, that, okay, different story, but still. Yes, like, that's, that's Moses. And, oh, shush. Apparently, I need to go back to school for my Christian education. To hell with Christian education. You need the Christian instruction. You need to be taking this in. And if you need some songs, we'll get somebody other than Barnaby to sing them for you. <laughs> Excellent. But, and look, we'll, I'll get and I'll get to Tony Abbott and what his remarks this week indicate that he doesn't understand. But before we do that, I want, before we leave the NDIS thing, it's pretty important to notice. It seems like one of the worst things you could do when you're like, we need the money for droughts. It, who can we take it from? I know, let's take it from disabled people. You would think that that was as low as the libs could go in the taking money from the wrong people to help other people. But no, no, they've done actually worse than this. Nigel Scullion, the Indigenous Affairs Minister, took half a million dollars from money that was earmarked for alleviating Indigenous disadvantage and gave it to fishing and cattlemen's groups in the Northern Territory to fight against land rights claims. He took money that was there to help Indigenous people and gave it to people to fight against Indigenous people whilst being the Indigenous Affairs Minister. A very crappy Indigenous Affairs Minister, just from looking at his history. But yeah, he did mention that, you know, it could be used for writing up educational materials as well for Indigenous people. Like they If the people fighting with them felt like using the money to help the people they were fighting against? Yeah, like they wasn't necessarily going, like it was going to be used for legal fees, but it could also be used for this other stuff, he told the Senate inquiry. Uh, Senate estimates, sorry. How you justify giving it to people to fight against... And, and you know what? But the it, people who hate Indigenous people who are constantly like, they're getting all of this stuff, I bet that those people will be like, look, this money was given to Indigenous people. More money. I'm paying to Indigenous people to 
but by indigenous people, I mean the people fighting against indigenous people to take away their land rights. But I, I think that I'm going to pretend that that money that was used to attack them was given to them for their own benefit. But that's okay, because the government did something really good and, it, and put in a special envoy to Aboriginal people in Australia who was definitely sensitive to the needs of Aboriginal people and their communities and doesn't have a horrible track record or history. It's not like he's known for saying that the taxpayers should not have to fund the lifestyle choices of people living in remote communities when he was Prime Minister. So Tony Abbott, who Morrison has appointed the Special Envoy for Indigenous Affairs, arrived at Pukacha, one of South Australia's most remote Aboriginal communities, was welcomed by the Anangu people, and then he stopped by a classroom, spoke with students, and said this. Thank you for putting up with the invasion. Thank you for putting up with the invasion. Now, obviously he means of politicians in my pack, you know, the entourage, the people who are just coming into your classroom and interrupting you in the day. Obviously he didn't mean anything. He just meant, like, he would have said that to anybody. He would have said, you know, if he, he got into a classroom or something and there's a sort of people and he's, like, trying to break the ice and he's trying to do a bit of empathy would and look he? at how the... Yeah, no, he would. He'd be like, sorry about the invasion. Like, just to try and be blokey and sort of be yeah. talking with them. You know, these we're, these Canberra people are coming in, but, you know, I understand that it's all a bit weird to you guys. You know, he'd do that anyway. The invasion remark wasn't because he was speaking to Indigenous people. It was just another example of... How cons- fucking clueless he and Conservative people overall are? Well, I would say it's more revealing of what they think. Anybody who's thought in any kind of detail about what Aboriginal people have had to suffer over the last 200 or so years since Europeans came, invaded, murdered and stole their land. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody who's thought about that for more than five minutes would recognise that, yeah, that is a bloody invasion. And because we haven't dealt with it, we have in no way addressed the wrongs that were done to them. Uh, it, hell, it was a big thing to even address that recently we were stealing their children. Yes. Um, that was apparently, you know, about as far as Parliament could go. So we haven't even got around to looking at the, the massacres and, and so forth. We try and bury that. We're spending half a billion dollars upgrading the War Memorial. There's some money you could take for drought relief or the NDIS or Both of them. anything. But no... So half a million dollars we're giving to the Australian War Memorial, but not to you know look into or commemorate or understand the frontier wars. No, no not, we're, we're pretending or, that didn't happen. You know, Aboriginal soldiers who fought in World War One and World War Two, often lying about their background and their lives because they weren't um, in World War One, especially weren't allowed to enlist. Like there's a whole in Vietnam, etc. Like they, we've always had Indigenous and Aboriginal service people in Australia. They've always fought for Australia. Um, I need to check lying. out how, whether they weren't allowed to by the by Vietnam. I think Vietnam, yes, but World War Two, they weren't as well. They lied. It does as seem well. like the kind of thing they would they would be encouraging people to. They, I think usually colonial powers are more than happy to have the people that they've invaded and oppressed fighting for them. They don't want to give them rights, but they're happy to fight. I think there'd be, there was a whole lot of stuff of um, actually Aboriginal servicemen and women coming back and finding that they didn't have the same rights as yep. their, yeah. In terms of even just the, the return servicemen stuff, but. The point that I think we can draw from Tony Abbott saying is I don't think it's that Tony is tactless or he's caused offence. I think the point is it reveals that he doesn't understand. He has he is either a person with no empathy, he doesn't give a shit if somebody's invaded and murdered, or he's got his head so far up his own ass that he's refused to learn or understand. And either, either of those is terrible. But it basically, making that remark to a group of Indigenous people says, I neither know nor care what you and your people have suffered and I, I am so indifferent to it that I don't even. It doesn't even occur to me that I'm talking to a group of people. Like if I were a white person, a prime minister, particularly a former prime minister, talking to a group of Aboriginal people, somebody who's benefited from the fact that they were dispossessed, and and I've lived in a rich country all my life as a result of uh-huh. their dis, dispossession and the invasion that was done to them, 
I would be very conscious that what they've gone through to give me that privilege. And the word invasion, like, would immediately be setting off alarm bells in my head. But it doesn't for Tony because... He is that clueless. He refuses to accept that there was anything, that we did anything wrong to them, which is what's really the problem. That's the problem there, that that we've got a bunch of conservatives who are so far from addressing this problem, their brains don't even process that it's real. It's not a problem to them. It's not a problem. They don't see it as a problem. To them, it's special snowflake lefties making a big deal about something that shouldn't be a big deal and... And why don't we just celebrate how great Australia is and Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. You know, you said it was one of two things for Tony Abbott and and other conservatives along the zilk. Couldn't it be both? Oh, I'm sure it is. What I worry about is that we look at it like, and and because this is what the right tries to portray it as, like that we've got these magic words that we've arbitrarily picked and you can't use them because otherwise we'll come down on you on like a ton of bricks and who are we to make these rules and where's their freedom? And and we kind of do that when we say, well, in fact, and I don't know that anybody who's actually affected by this does use the word offence. I was offended. I don't think people actually say that. But the media asks them, were you offended about that? And I'll, I've got an example um, in a minute that I'll play in relation to the Ross Cameron thing. Uh, but the point of it isn't, I was offended and, and you've hurt my sensibilities. It's that it's not just that it was tactless. That remark is revealing of yes. of a substantive problem. And the substantive problem is that we are so far from addressing Aboriginal disadvantage, we can't even address the historical wrongs that were done to them because we don't, we, we're still denying them. So no, that's what it reveals. And we also think that it's entirely appropriate, and I, by we I say our current government, I um, think it's entirely appropriate to put someone like uh, Scullion in as Aboriginal Affairs Minister, Indigenous Affairs Minister. Or Tony Abbott. And to put someone in, uh, Tony Abbott in as the special envoy. It's sending a message that we don't care about what they're saying and we're not yeah. even going to listen to them so it's the substantive thing that matters there not yeah. not the word invasion it's that him using it what it reveals yes. but likewise when people are using words and we'll, we'll do it in a minute about, about what ross cameron was saying about chinese people it's not that oh he's used a, a word that is now not pc it's that he has tapped into a previously very humble these weren't words that were just sort of floating around in the ether these are words and concepts that are associated with violence oppression dispossession Absolutely. discrimination they're there's associated with genuine harms and getting rid of those words and calling out people saying that is part of how we've pushed back against that discrimination and oppression and it's kind of like drawing a line and saying no 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 you start with the words and then you go to the actions we're stopping you at the words yes so ross cameron on sorry this is this ridiculous outsiders program which had um mike latham got sacked from for, for attacking a, a high school kid um rowan dean still hasn't been sacked ross cameron has now after this been sacked this is ross cameron this week uh talking about chinese people if you go to the uh disneyland in shanghai on any typical morning of the week you'll see twenty thousand uh black-haired slanty-eyed yellow-skinned chinese desperate to get into disneyland because they like and enjoy and are embracing many aspects of western culture which is now, that bit of audio I've grabbed from um, uh, the ABC story on it, and the I'm going to play you the question that the interviewer asks a Chinese person that they've gone on to talk about it. Were you offended by it? I wasn't. Oh, very I wasn't offended by it, but I'm sure others will disagree with me. The interviewer has missed the point. It's not about being offended. It's that those kind of racist stereotypes are used to harm Chinese people in our community. It's the... It's, it's a furphy. It's that old thing they do where they find the one person of whatever minority they have uh, done something to who will defend what they did. Oh, I'm not offended by that. Oh, no, I didn't be bothered. She, I don't think she was defending it, but she's just she was doing what I would do if I would ask whether I was offended. I'd be like, 
well, it's not about being offended. Well, she doesn't actually say it's not about being offended. It's about X. She just says, no, I'm not particularly offended. Yes. Because but... taking offense puts you in a weaker position to it. It's like, oh, I've been wounded. Whereas what the point I would be making if I were in her, her shoes and I'm, I'm not her and I'm not, you know, I'm a privileged white guy. For, so me saying, oh, I would say this is kind of a missing point. But from a position of privilege, I can look at what the harm is and go, look, I would be saying, no, no, that, that kind of word is harmful to the community that I'm part of. And it has caused harm in the past. Yeah. There's a lot of racism. Hell, New, New South Wales laws from like 1900 or something where they're like specifically against Jeremy, stopping Chinese people arriving. That's like, not what they're going to hear. What they're going to hear is, oh, I'm not offended. That's what they're yeah. going to hear. They, other people in my community might be is also a sort of like a, other people might be. Yeah, but it's then, unhelpful. It's, but what they do is they find always find one person in whatever community they have said something too harmful about or too... And they find one person who will defend them, who will if say, it was news, this I'd is say actually that, a problem. This is ABC. I don't think ABC... The, the interviewer seemed surprised. I don't think she was expecting that, the, that she'd say, no, I'm not offended. I think she was like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think... I don't think they did that deliberately. Yeah, it's just... Mm, but but mm. you're right. Like, the right-wing media often do do that and they will find, you know, a black person to argue against a black community. You've got Nellie Yo, the the... the Weird, weird person Leo who is constantly happy to bash his local, his Sudanese community on behalf of the anti-Sudanese press. Or it's like Jacinta Price, who is an Alice Springs councillor, getting up and talking about how no, no, they shouldn't change Australia Day. Or and often she comes up, yeah. she comes out against the Aboriginal community. And then they're, they're the people they're happy to interview and yeah. to and she'll get heaps of airtime about it. All right. There is some potentially positive news this week, but I'm not going to give it... It's in Australia versus humanity. I'm not going to go too hard on it at the moment because I don't trust that it'll happen. But the government's announced, for some reason, through George Brandis, who's uh, now the High Commissioner in London, like, why he'd be announcing this. But they've announced that they're going to have all the children off Nauru by the end of the year. Whether that happens... I don't know. I don't trust them. They haven't. They have no way earned any trust on this subject. Morrison's trying to take credit for the ones who have been brought here, the ones that the Australian government fought tooth and nail to try and stop. Yeah. In fact, now they're arguing. They're trying to argue that the court doesn't even have jurisdiction. Well, but it's interesting because now we've now been seeing reports that they're locked in hotel rooms. Oh yeah, because when they when they come here, they've got armed guards. They're not allowed to move it. Like they're not yeah. actually free. They're just in a different kind of hellhole. In Australia. Well, and so how are you helping? Like, okay, they're in a Quest Hotel, which is nicer than the shipping container or tent they were living in. However, they're still trapped. They're yeah. still locked. They're still not being allowed freedom. Ah, uh, see, we just to... we just had the hashtag kids off Nauru. We didn't specify inhumane conditions. Yeah. See? Oh, well, foolish So us. silly. I, that, I really, you know, this does kind of feel like... We're running a bit late, so I might, we might have to do the the Brazil discussion next week because I really want to have a discussion about how is left right fascism um, hmm. and the rise of it. And also, like... Uh, I will mention in relation to Britain. So Brazil's elected a far right, genuine person who admires dictators, says he admires dictators, hates gay people, ha- hates women having rights. Like, fun. He's a terrifying man. He's also determined to flog off chunks of the Amazon rainforest, like the lung that is hypothetically the, one of the few reasons why climate change hasn't been worse. So he, what this guy is going to do in Brazil is going to seriously harm all of us. Yes. You really want the whole world to be able to turn around at this point and say, no, 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 we're united on this. That is a thing that can't happen. We'll put pressure on Brazil to not, you know, cut down the fucking Amazon. But the world can't do that because Trump's busy undermining any. There's no consensus. The, the right around the world have done such a good job of tearing any action uh-huh. here. 
And particularly in Australia, it's the classic one of, oh, well, it doesn't really matter what we do because we're such a small country. So, A, we'll, we'll, we'll increase our emissions, which we've done dramatically since we Absolutely, were the carbon price. Absolutely, until we have these insane per capita emissions that are just, yeah. Well, we've always had, we started moving them yeah. down under the carbon price and now they've gone back up. With the other argument is, uh, oh, well, we've only got a small percentage of the world's population, so it won't make a huge difference. But it does. Well, because every little bit, you know, everybody has to do their part. Yes. If we don't undoing our part, we can't put any pressure on anybody else. And far from putting any other pressure on anybody else, we've specifically been going around trying to sabotage these agreements on behalf Absolutely. of the Minerals Council of Australia. Yeah. Like the Australian government under the Liberals have been going around in all of these international negotiations doing everything we can. To, we're, the, we're the anti side. We're the, no, let's not do anything about it. So we are punching well above our weight in terms of fucking the climate. And then here we go. In the sense of, here is another example of where. If we were going to save ourselves, we would need to be able to argue with Brazil and say, with the world, and argue against them not cutting down the rainforest. Absolutely. But we don't have any... We couldn't even start doing that because Brazil would have been turn around and go, you're not fucking doing it. Why should we? Absolutely. And and we aren't doing it. And, and you are right. We are sabotaging it. And we have a prime minister who doesn't seem to even understand how solar and wind works. Though I did notice that someone has started... They've actually taken fair dinkum power... And they've turned fair income power into a campaign to uh, to increase renewables in Australia and renewables use. So uh, Scott Morrison and his, you know, we'll keep your your power fair dinkum. His little chummy video he does, you know, where he's chatting to you and and talking about his friends with the uh, with their with their energy bills. The Alex P. Keaton one where he's yeah. sort of sides. Oh yeah. But so someone's actually taken fair dinkum power and saying, okay, here, let's talk about renewables and let's talk about how they will actually save you money and let's talk about this. Well, I was going to say in relation to us fighting against the rise of fascism, and I, I think that's probably a better discussion because that's a that is a detailed discussion and i'd like to talk about how why it is that we on the left and, and the a very brief pricey of where sort of the thoughts i'm having on it are like we're very bad we have a problem that the that the capitalist right screws over the poor like mm-hmm. it make, gets rich off it it does it for long enough until eventually working people are like fuck this i'm being screwed there's anger there all through this the left are going um no, no, you're screwing. The, the ordinary people are going to be wrecked by what you're doing, and there's going to be consequences. When the consequence, consequences arrive, we're sitting there going, "Look, it's those people who've been ripping you off. Like we've got to do something about them. Those people who are ripping us off still own, you know, have the money and the power to silence that, and they're more they're happy to go along with the populist right who come along and go, "No, no, everything's fucked, and you know who is who's to blame? All these people who don't have power, you know, immigrants, the gays, the um, the poor, the the doll bludgers, the like." We've got a handy list of all the vulnerable people. Absolutely. And the right-wing media are more than happy to go, yeah, look at them. Don't look at us rich people. Look at them. Yes. And the mob is redirected off to them. And, you know, eventually you get... And, and as a result of that, like, this anger that is real is redirected to a way that harms more people. Hence the right, the, the capitalist right being working really hard to crush unions who are an actual organised body where the rage is being directed at the actual people causing the harm. Absolutely. Which is why, and I hate to godwin it, but it's appropriate in... When the Nazis come to power, they 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 killed off all the bloody communists, the, and they, they were supported by the Capitalist business owners, elite. the capitalists, yeah. because hell, the communists were the actual threat to the business elite. So they were like, hey, yeah, let's work all together to crush them. And once they killed all the communists, then you have a populist mob that's out there that still isn't happy because they haven't their problems haven't been solved. Yeah, um, and then they then it, then the capitalists lost control. But in the meantime, any actual chance of doing of fixing it had gone. So yes, broadly, I think we can have a discussion about that and we how we do about it. But in terms of in terms of the power thing, one of the things that I've noticed that the Liberals are working very hard on for this election is trying to sell their policy as cheap power versus the environmentalists want to make your power more expensive. Now, that is false. Their own modelling yes. shows that if you have more uh, renewables, like with the MBN, it's slightly more expensive at the very beginning, but in the medium to long term, and it's like not that, you know, 10 years to long term, it's substantially cheaper. Like, it's something that a government could subsidise until it's underway. 
and ultimately we'd all be much better off. And, and we're doing a very bad job on the left of calling bullshit because we're trying to argue the principle of it rather than the, actually, you don't even have to worry about principle versus your self-interest because in this case, they're the same thing. Renewables will get your prices down. Burning coal is a way of keeping your prices high. So we need we need better ways of of talking to people who are purely motivated by self interest and explaining why it's their in self it's in their self interest not just to do the principal thing Absolutely. out of principle but because of their own hip pocket and we need to count this because I've not seen anything from the left countering the it's the choice between environmental action and high power prices because that's the libs campaign and I haven't seen anyone on the left countering that and I think that's uh, one of the interesting things that they're trying to do with fair income power the guy behind it um, Mike Cannon Brooks is trying to you know reclaim this phrase it's like throwaway phrase that Scott Morrison used in fact it's not throwaway you know that someone in his office sat there trying to think of how what he could do and what he could say to see like chummy and like a man of the people and they came up with the phrase but he's trying to have, use... have you seen the footage of him with a beer can at the cricket I showed you that footage of the beer with him with the beer cup at the cricket where he drew his skulls his beer in a plastic cup and then puts the cup upside down on his head yes it's terrifying but you know he's trying to seem like the man of the people and and so now we have this someone who's actually come out and said all right absolutely i'll take this logo i'll take this name we'll run a campaign we'll make we'll make renewables the thing let's make this a focus and uh he's a man with a lot of money who's putting a lot of his money into this and he said that he's been swamped by people wanting to support it creatives people other people with uh funding that sort of thing so like it looks like there is a campaign sort of starting so yeah look up fair to power there's an interesting article in the uh, financial review about it which is weird words for me to actually say I'm still getting over the one that the treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, tweeted this week, where he tweeted a picture from the Fin Review saying that uh, the ALP's policy to stop giving cash bonuses paid by taxpayers to people for owning shares yeah. was smashing mum and dad shareholders. And Frydenberg's calling it a retiree tax, because apparently a tax is when taxpayers don't give money to the rich. Yes, exactly. And so instead of continuing to give credits to people who own shares and... No, not um, credits. Always, they always got credits like... So the money that the tank company had paid for them, yeah. they get to deduct that from their tax. Yeah. The thing that's being that the Labour Party is talking about shutting down isn't even just that because I mean that's still ridiculous. Yes. But this video, that when they don't pay any tax and they still have their this credit from the dividend thing, we pay them tax money. We pay them money. So they don't pay any tax. We give them money saying, oh, thank you for owning a share. For for the company paid a little bit of tax. Here's the money the company paid. Have it as a cash bonus. Oh, so God. the company paid the tax, and it's given straight back to the people receiving a dividend. So effectively, the tax that went into the revenue doesn't go to anybody That's other idiotic. than... Yeah, we give cash. So these are people who don't pay tax. We give them money. And Frydenberg calls not giving them money a tax. It's like not taking money from them is a tax, but declining to give them more money is a tax. And it's interesting that they refer to mom and dad shareholders because I would actually really be interested to see how many average people are, are making a substantial amount of money out of this, more than just a tiny bit even. I'm like, I, I can believe that there's plenty of people out there who own some shares, who it reduces their tax burden. Um, well, and- most, most ordinary mums and dads are paying tax, so yeah. they would not be, this doesn't apply to them. It, you don't, the, the cash bonus thing only applies when you've managed to arrange your affairs to the point where you're yeah, well, you exactly, shit, but thing. you're not paying tax. So, like, um, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, there are some people out there who own shares who are getting some deductions from owning these shares, but the people they're talking about, it's it's madness. Well, it, it almost feels like... It's like when they talk about people who have, like, three investment properties as, you know... Mum and dad investors. Mum and dad investors with their, you know, their, their three different flats they own and, and things are harder because now they're only worth twice as much as they were or three times as much as they were when they bought them. They're not worth, you know, the five times as much they were potentially worth. It feels like they've hit on a phrase. There are certain phrases that they know get 
unthinking support. So yes. apparently Fair Dinkum is still one of them, God knows how, although the, the, the Venn diagram, as somebody put it out on Twitter, of people who use Fair, uh, Fair Dinkum as the expression and people who are scumbags is like it's a circle on a circle. <laughs> yeah, it's just one circle. Yeah, but I mean, working where well, they had working families, um, but yeah, mum and dad, whatever. Like, anybody can be a mum and dad. Rupert Murdoch's a, had a part, like, they were mum and dad. Like, yeah. being a mum and dad doesn't make you relatable. Like, just... There, there are time, we, we, Stalin we, was a was a dad. Stalin had a, they, they had kids. Mum and dad. Mum and Jeremy, dad dictators. What we, the? we got our relatability certificate in the mail. Oh. We had Evie. It, it came in the post. Like when. Well, we're mum and dad podcasters. And I just yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why they're being so hard on mum and dad podcasters. <laughs> Shouldn't they give us more tax credits? Yeah. No. Why are we not getting tax credits? That's right. We are being taxed by the Liberal Party because they don't give us money for being mum and dad podcasters. Mm. What a tax! I, I'm sick of being smashed. With this tax where they don't give me money for being a mum and dad podcaster? <laughs> oh, what can you do? And I think I think we're pretty close to winding down. Uh, do we have any other good news this week? We do have some good news. <gasps> some good news that actually applies to the pregnant person. Yes, it does apply to the pregnant person. Uh, but the World Health Organization has declared this week that rubella has been eradicated in Australia. Also known as German measles because we like putting, you know... Um, well, I imagine that it was there and misunderstood to be that at one point. Exactly. It's it's like it's like the flu used to be called Spanish influenza because there was a big outbreak in Spain. That and was the... a particular type of flu, wasn't it? Like, oh, that... like there's all of these sorts of things, you know. Like, clearly we need to play more pandemic. Exactly. Um, anyway, the but... rubella one, the, the cure is now being placed on rubella. It's been eradicated. Oh, no, it's been eradicated. So no yeah. more rubella cubes are coming back um, out. That's and... fantastic. And, and so that is fantastic, especially because it is really, really dangerous, not only to young children, but it's really dangerous to pregnant women. And um, also once you've... Once the pregnancy started, you can't then get, go then go and get immunized. No, like you can't. if you don't expect the pregnancy in time, yes, and it happens. Yeah, there's lots of women who ideally would have been immunized, but they've current they've currently got a pregnancy, yeah. so they can't be. Yeah, so it's uh it's wonderful to hear that it has been eradicated, and um, let's see more of this. Yeah, All right. let's leave it there on some good news. Hooray! Thank you everybody for listening. Uh, thank you for everybody for for getting through me doing a rant when I said that I wasn't going to do a rant. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's, I think the subject's worth having discu- it, it a discussion is. about. But we had we actually some discussion things. about it. Yeah. We could have like a midweek discussion about things. Yeah. Oh, and uh, I haven't played you any Alan Jones this week, even though I have a bit of Alan Jones whinging about Malcolm Turnbull that I could play you. But I'll hold it over till next week, unless uh, unless I get lots of messages on Twitter saying please don't. In which case, at well may we say to let us know that you don't want to hear Alan Jones having a whinge about Malcolm Turnbull and just Scott Morrison going along with it. Or at Well May We Say, if you do want to. Either way. We could run a poll on Well May We Say. Do you want to hear the Alan Jones going on bit? I, I feel like that's a lot of effort for something that if people wanted to hear it, they could just, like, Google it. So I feel like that's... I, don't, I feel like it's a poor... Oh, come on, but, but, but our commentary about it would make it extra special. Yes. Yes, it would. <laughs> or something. Anyway, anyway, thank you very much, everybody, for coming back. Thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. Uh, you are how the podcast keeps going. Thank you to everybody who's left us a five-star review on iTunes. That's one of the reasons that people can find us, find the podcast. And it's one of the easiest things to do and one of the simplest and freest things to do. Just go onto your podcast platform, go onto iTunes, and leave a leave a good review for the podcast. We love it. That's it. The Patreon is the best way to support the podcast and how it keeps going because it's harder. It, it, is, it is a thing with costs. Uh, and time costs as well as money costs. But yes. it has money costs physically for us to um, host it and everything. So anyway, thank you everybody who's been doing that. Actually, we do have some more equipment I need to upgrade the the mic situation here as well yes anyway um, thank you everybody for supporting us thank you Robin Gray for the music thank you Alex Lum for the artwork and we'll see you all next week see you soon bye